Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaugh. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, especially because this week we have another fabulous cast member of Chains. Now in its final week, so come see it all you can. So we have another cast member. First of all, do you prefer Anthony? And how do I'm we- Anthony? You know, I, I'm Anthony officially, but everybody calls okay. me. Too. Yeah. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? I should have asked in advance. Shall I pronounce it for you? It's Cochrane. Cochrane. So Cochrane. It's one of those things. My 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 kids, because I'm Scots, so yeah. I, I insist that my kids learn how to say it properly. Everybody here calls it Cochrane, you know. It's That's, sort of got that that, you know, I'm Jewish, so it has almost that Hebrew. So I feel like I can do it, even though I'm not Scottish and has that yes. Hebrew element. When I, lived in, when I lived in the UK, I was called Anthony. But since I've moved here, nobody says Anthony here. No. Even when I'm, even when I'm working on Julius Caesar, they still say Mark Anthony, even though there's no H in it. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of, well, we'll get into sort of the differences between working in the UK versus the US and which you prefer. But before we go on, I want to introduce my listeners to you, Anthony, before we go any (laughs) further. He was born in Scotland, as you just said, where he then quite literally ran away with the circus, more on that later, before attending the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. From there, he worked with various Scottish repertory and touring companies before being cast on the Scottish detective TV show Taggart. And in London's Royal Shakespeare Company in 1999, he made the very successful move to New York, where he's since appeared in the audience with Helen Mirren, Warhorse, Cymbeline, and the Utopia trilogy on Broadway. Off-Broadway, he's worked extensively with Classic Stage Company, BAM, and the LCT Newhouse Theater. He's done shows at Syracuse Stage, CT Rep, Yale Rep, the Old Globe, the Folger Theater, and La Jolla Playhouse. And in addition to all of this, Tony has composed original music for over 30 theatrical productions. Finally, he's appeared in films like The Flame and Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, and on TV shows like The Good Fight, Blue Bloods, Pose, and Law & Order SVU. Okay, that is a lot. Is there anything? Sounds, major? sounds good to the. <laughs> <laughs> is there no, anything major I'm missing? Yeah, that's that. That is kind of that's that's my deal. That's, that's your life. Yeah. Well, we'll get life. we'll get into the specifics of it now. I want yeah. to start at the beginning. A very good place to start. I mentioned that you started your professional pr- performance career in the circus, which I think is. <laughs> is rare. Was that your first love or were you already into oh, no, no. theater and then you saw this way to like break into performance? How did that come to be? I, you know, I don't come from this. Uh, a lot of your, the people who get interviewed say, oh, they saw a musical and then they wanted to be on the stage. I, none of that happened. It was all pure circumstance, pure happenstance rather. You know, I wanted to be a drummer in a rock and roll band. That was what I wanted to be. Or a DJ, you know, back in the 70s before DJs were actually doing clubs and stuff, just right. radio DJs. Those were those are the <laughs> things I wanted to do. My mother came in one day and said, they're doing a new thing called the Scottish Youth Theatre and they're doing a, a summer programme. Would you like to audition for it? And it, only because I'd started a drama, a drama group at school and I, she thought that would be interesting. And so I went down and went down to Inverness, which is... Uh, the biggest city in the north of Scotland. I come from right at the top of Scotland, where you're overlooking the Orkneys. So I'd really never seen any theatre. There's no theatre up there. You know, when I started, I wanted to be a wanted to be an actor on television. I, you know, I wanted to be 
you know, Roger Moore in The Saint. That was what right. I wanted to do. But so I went down, I auditioned. I remember it, I did an Alan Bennett skit. I can't remember what it was, but I seemed to get through it. And it was, it was John Doyle who was wow. me, yes. He, well, I uh, know he taught me at, at in college. So is that right? Yeah. yeah. There's the link. Well, twice he is really the reason that I became an actor. And I actually said that to him. I, I, I went to an interview that he was having and said from the audience, you're the reason I'm an actor. And he was very young. I mean, he, he probably doesn't really like to be reminded of it, <laughs> but he ran a, a touring theater and education company called the tie up theater company from Inverness. And they came up to my school when I was like 14. It was way back in 1975 and did a production of the Scottish play, which I remember very vividly, you know, because it was played, we sat on the floor and they played it. They didn't go on a stage. They played it round us. And it sort of was wild. And then I, you know, as I say, I was, in, I was auditioned to go in the Scottish Youth Theatre. And it was really the Scottish Youth Theatre that made me want to become an actor. I was given a, quite a nice role in this play. And I went, oh, I could do, can I do, can you get paid to do this? You know, I had no idea. Right. Can you get paid to do this? I'd love to do this. It'd be great. Were they mostly doing Shakespeare and the classics? No, they did a thing called Just a Joust, which was like a, a pantomime of play and the other play was a serious play called oh what a lovely peace which was based on oh what a lovely war but set in the nuclear age so it, we you know we saw lots of film of of, of particularly john pilger's documentary about hiroshima right. it was all that kind of stuff it was rather good and, and i was in the the panto one and i played the villain and i just went this is great i love playing the villain i love doing this i love the audience reaction i you know so that was why I became an actor. And then joining the circus was a kind of, was a weird thing because I, I decided to go to London, to live in London. And I was living with a, a, an ex-girlfriend of mine in this basement flat that had no windows. That's how I remember. There was no window, but it had a blazing fire the whole time. It was in the winter. So you could watch. It was like being in, I don't know, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is really all I can think of the snow falling, <laughs> fire, but it's like being outside. And she used to babysit for this actor, this, these two actors actually who worked at the National Theatre, and they knew somebody who ran a circus. And, they, and, the, and then I started babysitting for them and they said, do you want to meet Michael Hurst? And well, sure. He offers equity cards. So you might be able to get an equity card. And da, 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 da. So I went out and he's like me and I joined <laughs> it just pure happenstance and then I was doing clowning and he said I have a couple of acts that you might be interested in since you're easily conned into doing stuff and so I I did you know I ended up you know walking up a ladder of swords and you know did you have any nails. fear were you because that seems scary mm. Yeah, I didn't really, because I knew it had been done before by people. Right. And I knew that it was a skill. It wasn't a skill. It was something you just, you know, you lie on a bed of nails. It hurts. That's it. So, it, you know, it doesn't hurt as much as you think it's going to, but it does hurt a little bit. And wow. so, yes, I, I did that. And then I, and then I did this bizarre escape act from a, from a coffin filled with water where I was, I was handcuffed and chained to a cross. <laughs> Did anything Bizarre. go wrong ever? 
Yes, several times. But I had a sort of fail-safe where I would exhale all my air into the water and they would just pull me up. But even then the audience went wild because they thought it was, you know, oh my God, it's real. How of course long it wasn't you, real, it was fake. How but long were you touring with this circus company? I did a year and a half with, well, a summer season and then another summer season. But yes. <laughs> but again, these things just, you know, I've... My life is like I'm on this, I'm just floating down a river and, and I get buffeted to the side every now and again to do something. <laughs> so how did you end up after the circus at mm. Royal Academy, Scottish Academy of Drama and Music? I, I, I had auditioned when I was younger with my mother for a, a college in London. I remember, I remember one of the, it was an absolutely horrible audition, a typical sort of fright audition where nobody's really paying attention, someone's reading a paper. And at the end of this horrible, fearful time, one of them says, you're never going to be an actor, so you should really think about something else. You are never going to do this for a living. So I went away from it, you know, in tears, my mother, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, 15, 16 or something. And I remember that night we went to see Chorus Line, which is the most depressing thing. Totally. In London, it was like, Anyway, a friend of mine, this is fast forwarding past the circus, a friend of mine who was at the Royal Academy said, if you wanted to become an actor, you should do some training. You should, you should go to a college. Because I'd done some acting before college. I'd actually started in a few years before that, being paid to be an actor, and I was doing bits and bobs. But I did want to hone my craft as a classical actor. I did want to become a classical because I suddenly had started seeing shows that I went, I'd love to do that want to be involved in that sort of work. And so I auditioned and, and I think the reason I got in again, pure happenstance, was that the movement teacher on the panel was so fascinated as, you know, to hear about the circus and went, well, you know, he's got, these guys are good, but he went to the circus. <laughs> right, right. You know, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm saying all this, maybe I'm, maybe I was very good. I don't know, but I always think it was just luck or certain happenstance that these things happen. I feel life in this business is like 99% luck. You're just at the right place at the right time. There are hundreds of people just as good, if not better than you. You just happen to hit, you happen to hit the bullseye on the dartboard that moment. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, it's something a lot of my guests talk about that it's hard work, but almost exclusively luck besides yeah. that. What was it like going from such a, I assume the circus was very sort of like free form, obviously very different from acting. And then you went to this very sort of classical conservatory. What was that transition like? Did you savor, were you like, yes, finally techniques or did you find that transition difficult? I did savor it and I, and I, I got on rather well. And I was, I was cast in very nice parts, which everybody says is the kiss of death to your career. You know, you know it's the people who don't get very good roles. Right, right. Which kind of, you know, did, I guess it was, it was very serious. It was, it, suddenly it was like, you know, you were amongst people who had seen a lot of theatre, had known, you know, knew what they wanted to do, knew, had an idea of, and I was like going, I'm just from the sticks. So I, I, you know, I'm delighted to be here, but I don't really know, you know, so I, I did learn an awful lot from the teachers there. They, 
And were you one of the older ones there because you hadn't gone directly from, you know, high school or whatever the equivalent is? No, because I think most people do take some time out. I don't know if it's still the same, but certainly at the time, most it was unusual to mm. go to exactly. yeah. a conservatory like that if you hadn't taken some time out or studied something else. My girlfriend at the time had already been to university right. and then gone to the conservatory. So she'd taken English and history already and then come decided to do acting as a separate right. thing. And so you said that your first sort of inspiration was watching TV. So then when Taggart came to be, was that like a full circle moment for you? Were you like, finally, I'm doing what, you know, what inspired me to do it? And how did that happen? Sort of, again, happenstance. I was up for a part that was a kind of more of a villain part, a much larger part, actually. And I didn't get it. And then my agent called and they didn't want you for that one, but they want you for the assistant to the CSI. They want you for the, the who's going to be a red herring. Like, for those of us who don't know, like a like a law and order type show in Scotland? Not well, you know, like you know, like the the British PBS ones, the, the the mystery series that come over. Okay, got it. Yeah. But it was shot in in Glasgow in Scotland, so it was it was about this detective called Jim Taggart, and it, it was actually the it's I think it's on record as being the longest, most successful series of its type. It started when I was in college at ninety three, and it and it went on to two thousand seven, I think. Wow. Um, and it was hugely popular in Britain. And they, I remember they they said they were gonna, they were thinking of sending it to the US, but they'd have to use subtitles. <laughs> they'd have to put subtitles in because they couldn't understand the accents. <laughs> so subsequently, I never got any US sales from it. But it is now on it is now on Amazon Prime. Funnily enough, you know, bizarrely enough, it is available to stream now. Speaking of accents. You know, this is going slightly out of order, but do you, I mean, I can understand you perfectly. Have you like modified your, how you spoke originally growing up in Northern Scotland or is that just? I always had a, my mother had an English accent. My dad's accent was very light, Perthshire accent. So I did not Perth, what am I talking about? Edinburgh. So I never really picked up a, and I mixed, actually being up in the north of Scotland, the, the, there's a nuclear power station up there and there was the American base up there at the time. So I mixed at school with lots of people from England and, you know, the, lots of people from all over the place. So I never really picked up a, a, a massive Scottish accent, though my brother and I, when we get a few drinks in us, we you know, we'll speak in the, in the dialect probably more than we would normally. Do you think that's been helpful in flexibility and gaining roles, especially once you move to the U.S.? Do you have to do, have you had to do a lot of American accents or do pretty, pretty much people ask you to stick with a British? No, I, 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 I did a, I did a Blue Bloods recently where I was cast as a New York Jewish attorney. And it didn't exactly to type. <laughs> yeah, perfectly typed. And I was actually, I was representing this other actor who is a, a New York Jewish actor. And he was like, and it was like, I was talking to him. He's like, what, why are you, you're, you're, you're playing Bernie Moskowitz? I said, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And it didn't even, you know, I thought I'm an actor. I didn't yeah. even think about it till I walked on the set. And when you walk on the set, everybody's got a New York accent. I'm going, the 
guy doing that's more qualified to do this than I am. And you know, I so it, it made me it made me freeze actually. It kind of made me go, oh my god, I'm doing this. So yeah, but you can't. You have to get over it. It is kind of difficult because, and I'm, you know, to be in a room full of people who are doing, you know, do an American accent, and then have to put one on. You're you're very aware of the fact that I think it was it Hugh Laurie used to say in House that he, before he did a before he did a take, he had to have somebody talk to him in an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was young because House was very big when I was young and yeah, then yeah. but I assumed he was American I didn't know who uh -huh. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then when I saw him accept a speech or accept an Emmy or something I was like he's British and found out the whole background and my world was like totally shook so I have I have a great Hugh Laurie story I've given away the I've given away the punchline but I was doing a I was doing a TV thing for the BBC called Neverwhere which was a a Neil Gaiman book that had been made into a series. I was a very small part, but I'd gone to the after show party and we were all there. And I knew that the, the comic strip people that Hugh Laurie was part of were the producers of it. Anyway, long story short, they, they went up and announced the band that was going to be playing and, 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 they can, and we thought nothing of it. And, we went, and it's Hugh Laurie and the blues, blah, 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 whatever it is. Hugh Laurie comes up. We're like, Hugh Laurie? That's Hugh Laurie from Blackadder or whatever. And he starts playing this jazz, this blues and jazz and singing this. He's incredibly good, incredibly wow. good. But no, I think most people know he can do it now. Whereas at the time, nobody, nobody knew he could play. It was amazing. That's incredible. I had no <laughs> idea about that either. You didn't? Oh my gosh, he's got records out. He's on Spotify, he's fantastic. It's like Jeff Goldblum, you don't realize Oh my God, he's an incredibly accomplished jazz pianist, you know. Well, that also speaks, I mean, you mentioned that you originally wanted to be a drummer and now you compose music in addition to your acting career. How did yeah. you keep that alive and how did you get into that as, as well as the acting? More happenstance. For a friend of a friend of mine, who they, they were, these two people were both in Miss Saigon in London. And my friend Paul's friend had bought this keyboard that, that you could write on. You could, you could multi-track. <clears throat> it had a floppy disk drive on, on, on board, which I thought was very, I think it's very funny now, but at the time I thought, fantastic. Yeah. And he wanted to sell it. And I said, okay, I'll buy that off you. And then I started toodling away. And I was always sort of writing, but I didn't have the tools to do it. And then I start, started multi-tracking, writing these sort of jazz funk things that people thought were rather good. And, and then my friend Robert Richmond, who was run, who was directing Aquila Theatre Company, heard this stuff. Said, "Would you write some stuff for the Scottish play I'm doing?" Sure, I did that. A little bit of that. Then I wrote a little bit more. Then after I was at the RSC, he convinced me to come to America and be in the shows and write music. And it just escalated. And the more and more I did it, the more suddenly I was spending nine months of my time every year over here writing, rehearsing, and, and touring. So is that how your move to the United States came to be? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where <laughs> I spent two and a half years, this is the thing about the career. You do, you do something great and you think, oh, I'm gonna move to the next stage. It's gonna be up, yeah. up, up. But it goes, oh. and then you go, and then you're not ready. And it, 
I didn't think it's going to move. To, oh. Now, <laughs> had I, if I had been a, 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 a an actor in something like Taggart now, with sort of a few episodes under my belt, you know, you'd be getting your PR to get you on Hello Magazine, or you know, you know, this right. is my wife and my children. <laughs> you'd be doing a lot of, you know publicity stuff that back in the day nobody thought nobody thought of I didn't I just thought this will just naturally go to the next thing and I'll be you know I'll go into some other show right <laughs> or some other series and and with the RSC too it came to an end and it'd been two and a half years it was like a proper job you know and then you think you know we'll just I'll just work for the national now I'll go you know I'll get audition for the royal court but these things don't happen. You get auditioned for the pub, the play that in the pub up the road, and you don't get the job. You know, <laughs> you don't get the job because they're annoyed that you were at the RSC. <laughs> right. So you know things like that. And so my friend Robert, who had been touring over here with Aquila, said, "Well, you should come out and do, and do some shows with Aquila." And I went, "No way, no way am I doing that." And then I enjoyed it so much the first time. Because I did five weeks. One of the weeks was a week off, paid week off. And I remember they were, they were, they were based in Texas, in, in San Antonio. And so I decided to take the week off and drive around Texas. Oh. And it was amazing. It was great. And I thought, and then I came back to gloomy London. I thought, maybe I could get used to that. And then awesome. I was asked back and I kept being asked back. And, I kept, and there, there we are. That was the... So it was originally, it was, it wasn't, you didn't conceive of it as like, I'm moving my life to the United States. It was like, let's try. Not, originally, no, not at all. No. And I thought, no, I, I never thought that. And, and it was 2004 was the sort of turning point because I was offered something in England. Right. And then I was offered another job with Aquila and they had, Aquila offered me the part of Daniel Dravet in the man who would be king, which is the Sean Connery part in that. Yeah. And, and Iago in the fella. And I thought, oh. and to write the music for both. And I thought, I can't turn that down. I've, I've got to do that. Iago. You've been a member of a lot of repertory and touring companies. And that's a very common thing in the UK, it seems, but not very common in the United States. I mean, you have like, Steppenwolf and that's like kind of it. Is that a system that you gravitate towards because of the ensemble work and having this like steady job? Is that something you prefer about the UK system of doing theater over the United States system? How do you view those those two competing systems? Well, I, yeah, I mean, Aquila obviously were a British style of company, a European okay. style of company. And the, the work itself became you know, it was it was always a Shakespeare and a and a like a classical Greek play, and there were eight member casts. And when I joined, it was my I felt my remit was to create an environment, a sonic environment, which was like a movie, so that you and so we very little props. We had lights and sound, and those were the two elements that we used to create our environments to move characters in and out of of different environments and it became a kind of magical formula that people became became our stamp and so for me that even though there were 
lots there's lots of rancor within the company about certain things that you know it was diff, a difficult uh, environment to some degree it did give the creative team that was with the company from the late 90s to the to the to about 2007 it gave it gave us an enormous amount of freedom and enjoyment in that we could just we could do anything we wanted we you know and and so creating that work was it was a really a highlight in my in my creative career because i because i was involved not only in the acting which is is a it was <laughs> all parts of my brain were working i was working solitarily on the music totally on right. my own but but you know obviously not in in the living universe but on my own and acting which i always consider to be not really acting at all but just knowing how have having the instincts to be able to bat the ball back that's given you mm. so it's acting is not really acting is only you only speak if someone speaks to you you only do something if there's an something happens in your environment that causes you to do to to react so it's really reacting is what acting is and so it, that is that is working with other people, reacting yeah. to other people. So you got the, I got the two disciplines in the one package in that company. And it was so very satisfying. Any culture shock when you got to the United States about the way the United States makes theater versus how it's made in the UK? I mean, I know you were working with Aquila, which was both British and American people, but then eventually doing other projects. Do you find that there are major differences? I don't really. That's great. I don't find, you know, I don't find any specific difference between working with Jack O'Brien, for example, at Lincoln Center and working with David Thacker or Michael Boyd at the RSC. Right. I would say that the the, the differences are behind the scenes. The differences are that theater here is a corporate business. Theater here is is about money. Really, I mean, a big theatre. I'm talking about Broadway theatre. You know, it's all about it's. You know, whereas there, it isn't. And I think that's the the confusion quite often when companies from Britain come over here, and they are forced into a position where they're not just getting money from from the Arts Council, which is what they're used to. Right. Basically, in Britain, the more you spend, the more you can say to the Arts Council at the end of the year. Wow, it cost me this much True. to run the theatre last year. So really, we should my, our money should go up. Whereas That's here, true. it's like you 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 know you're having to explain yourself <laughs> many many times in these theatre companies. You know why have you spent so much money? <laughs> because of that, you think that the government should, in the United States should yeah. give money to theatre. I do, and in fact, we with Aquila, we had we we got a. a a fair amount of money from the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities. And I remember we went to the White House. Mm, who was the president at the time? George W. Bush. Oh, how was that? Well, you know, what happened was the head of the National Endowment for the Arts, whose name was Dana, but I can't remember his second name. He had asked a lot of repertory companies if they would come to the White House produce something in order to try to convince George Bush who wanted to cut money from, cut the money from the 
which is what his wife didn't want. His wife was very keen on, keen on the National Endowment. So Dana had asked all these companies and they'd all refused to come. They'd all refused to come. Now, Peter Meinek, the producer of Aquila said, we'll do it. And a lot of people thought, Aquila, they're just under the thumb. It's like, no, we went and we, pro we produced a little section of this. We did a, a production of Much Ado About Nothing, which was set in 1960s spy. There was a television series called The Avengers back in the 60s with Diana Rigg and Patrick McNee. And the, the, the famous oh, yeah. two I characters. My Fair Lady. And my parents were like, she's oh, right. really famous. And I was like, all right. Really famous. So she was a real sex symbol. In the, in the, and she was really the first wide spy character to be an emancipated woman type, you know, dressed in leather and, you know, and he wore a bowler hat and, and a suit. So it was, you know, Emma Peel was her name and John Steed. And we, I decided, we talked about how we would do Much Ado. And I said, well, why don't we make Beatrice and Benedict Emma Peel and John Steed and put it in a spy world? Because it kind of, the play itself has, <clears throat> is, you know, people spying on each other, people overhearing things, you know, they don't, they miss understand so we did it and i wrote a, a 60s score spy score for it and, and it was kind of cool it ran after we toured it, it ran off broadway for a long time and it was in fact we were at bleecker street when 9 11 happened oh wow <clears throat> yeah and we were and peter at the end of the week 9 11 wanted to put it on again and i went well here, the only I can't see any reason to put it on other than collecting money. Yeah. If we if we collect money for the for the Red Cross, then it's worth doing. So we did it and we collected. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Tens of thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how much it was, but a ton of money. So it ended up being worth it. And then we moved the show to I don't know if it's even still there, Manhattan Ensemble downtown, which is quite near Grand Zero. Yeah. And we moved it and we played it till December. We played and it was successful. It ran successfully. Anyway, so we did that. And so we thought we'll do a section of that. We'll do like a half hour, 20 minute, half hour section right. in White House. And so we were there, I mean, you know, ushered in by the security people. <laughs> and we did it. And at the end of it, I was playing Benedict. And at the end of it, I'm sweating because we've been doing dancing and fighting and I don't know we did a whole bunch of stuff that was in it and then he came up onto the onto the podium took his handkerchief out wiped my brow with it turned to the audience now the audience were this is a Shakespeare's birthday audience so okay. it was littered with famous famous people like right. writers and Baclav Havel was there you know a ton of people and so he said, well, looks like we're going to have to up the grant for the, for, for the National Endowment. <laughs> so in a way, for that year, I feel Aquila gave all these regional theatres more money because we did, we, we did such a good job at the White House. <laughs> you obviously were, you know, composing with them and acting with them. And it sounds like you had a lot of creative control is... Yes. Is, have you ever directed? Like, is that something you would ever be interested in or producing, I, that kind of thing? I have directed. I directed, I was offered a teaching, an adjunct professor post at the West Connecticut State University. So I went and did that. And that itself, a, a, another weird happenstance. This, 
this woman, this uh, chair at West Connecticut, had seen me, went to see me at Syracuse stage playing Magwitch in Great Expectations, and had seen me 10 years previously in Edinburgh. Wow. In a production of Romeo and Juliet that Aquila did, where we had six actors, and we all learned the whole play, and the audience chose the actor and the character track every That's night. So, so, fun. so she had seen me play Juliet <laughs> with my very my older bald-headed friend playing Romeo. <laughs> and the younger characters playing that. So she'd seen that that version of it. And she said, I want you to come and teach what you do. And I went, okay, fine. That's great. So I had I did direct some things there. I directed Hamlet and I directed Much Ado. I did a Much Ado and wrote the music for that. For, I wrote a different kind of score for, for it. And then I did I did Animal Farm on the, the, the year that COVID hit. And I was, it, was all, it was all designed. It looked beautiful. It was like, oh, it was going to be great. And then they cancelled it. And I, I said, look, I'll do it as a radio play because I've done, I did radio in Britain. So I know how, I mean, I know everybody was doing radio over here when COVID struck. Right. But I know, you know, how to do radio. So we'll do it as a radio play. And then we we did it online on this, with this, this system that is not set up to do that is for musical instrument it's for people who play musical instruments to record each other and to, re to record and send each other material and we set it up and we had like i don't know 40 people on it and we recorded it all at once it was like mayhem so i have directed a little bit and i've done some i did a a, a production of julius caesar at new jersey shakespeare as well for oh, the touring nice. really nice yeah. you've we've obviously been talking a lot about it's very clear based on our conversation that the types of shows that you often do are classics, the Greeks, Shakespeare, et cetera. Do you feel like that is happenstance as you keep saying because of your British background, because of your classical training or what, what pulls you to that genre in particular? It's, it's what I say to my students. It's you, you, if you working with Shakespeare is just, it's hard to describe it because I think a lot of actors fear it and, and uh, fear that they won't be able to live up to the language itself or live up to previous incarnations. Or, but the language that is just a, such a joy to, to use, everything's in the language. The language is so rich. And I say it's like this huge pie that you, is full of fruit and you've got to delve into this pie to get all the fruit out. You can't circumnavigate the fruit yeah. or, the, or the pie you've got to just get in it and play with the language and have fun with the language because the language will tell you the character the language will tell you the all of you all the stuff you need to know whereas when you're in a television series or something <laughs> and the language is not that good <laughs> the paycheck may be quite good but the language is rubbish it's kind of a big difference for me because i'm so used I, because I have been used to wonderful working with wonderful language and white working, then you suddenly you get language where you're making it up. You're having to find the subtext right. you're fine because there's nothing in the there's nothing in the language. There's, you know, so you know, for me, I prefer to be, I you know, and I I hear other actors in, in the dressing room too saying, "Oh, I wish I could do a Shakespeare play. I wish I could do this. I wish I could wish I could do more." You know classical stuff 
But it's yeah. funny because I, as a as a composer and as an actor, I know that all of your pretty much all of your guests. I've been listening to all the podcasts. Everybody saw a musical thing, and they thought music, and and they wanted to sing, and, and that that's never. <laughs> I don't even have a music. People go. You, you're a composer and you don't have a, a musical in you that you're desperate to write the musical ask. version of. I'm yeah. going, I, what I write is environment or underscoring or right. kind of like we have in, in, right. in Chains. Like it's, very, it's very much like that, you know, is that I write music that will bring people in and bring people out and music that will work with the, 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 the visuals. Never, I don't, Think in terms of, oh, I must write a song here. I'm, <laughs> oh, I can fill this into a musical. <laughs> so it's fair to say in your process that you that you start with the language, like that's where you dive in, all yes. language for you? Yeah. yeah, language and reacting to who I'm speaking to. What's your process like when you're composing? It's, uh, my father used to listen to my music and go, I don't understand it. I'll need to see the visuals. Mm. To get it, and I think that that's very much it. I'd go. I used to. I you know. I I would obviously be there all the time in rehearsals. So I, and in fact, if ever I'm hired now, I would, I would probably say I'd like to be in rehearsals all the time mm. because I write to the rehearsal. So I write to what's going on. So if something's going on, Rob and I would talk. Robert Richmond and I would talk about it, and we'd do the scene without music. We'd say we wanted da 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 da, da. and then I'd go away that night and I'd write something that I'd then bring in the next morning, and then we'd do exactly the same scene with the music. Then I would cut and paste and cut and paste. So that by the end of the rehearsal period, the actors are known, they know the music, they, like a musical, I guess, same sort of thing. But yeah. they know exactly what the music sounds like. So when you go into tech you're not having this horrible confusion with the actors going, oh, is that one? Am I walking onto that? Or am I, am I, have I got this bit of underscore over this speech? How am I gonna, they've already timed it. They already play it like a song. So it, it, it kind of, it was much, you know, for me, that's, as an actor, that's a great feeling of security in one of the technical elements that that's already kind of in place when you get into tech. And to write to the play, I think is a, is a kind of, you know, so many times I go and I work in something and then you see the composer at the end of the day or in tech or, you know, you've never met him before. You meet him on the first day and then you never see him again until the tech. Yeah. Whereas I kind of think that sort of relationship with somebody who's as important. I mean, I say to actors when I am just doing music, I say, treat the music as another character. Mm. You know, don't, don't, you know, don't. If I've given you a piece of underscoring over the period of the play, don't start speeding up the speech. Don't change it because it's exactly like changing a song, speeding yeah. up a song. It, the, the, the music itself is, is the, the cushion under which you, if you use it, you will love, you will love the experience. It, it sounds like your experience as an actor really feeds your experience as a composer and vice versa. I think that is true, yes. I think that is true. And even though you described composing as much more solitary than your work as an actor, it sounds like you try to make it as ensemble-based as your experience as an actor, that it's still reacting. I'm still in there reacting to the work that's being done, yes, that's true. It's only the solitary bit is when when everybody goes away at six o'clock and I stay up till three in the morning. 
sitting there in rehearsal. That was the, with Aquila. That was how it was. That, you know, yeah. I'd be in there. I'd be in there from ten till six, writing sometimes, but mostly acting. And then I'd be there till sometimes I would sleep in the rehearsal room. Oh my god! <laughs> and they'd wake me up in the morning at ten to start. Oh my yeah. God. Because when you start on something, time becomes liquid because you'll be in it and you'll think you've only been working on it for an hour and you'll look and it's like four in the morning. And you go, oh my God, time is just gone. Well, I think that's the mark also really loving what you do. If you didn't love it, you would be I think so. yes. minding the clock the whole time. Yeah, I want to mention chains you're so funny in chains when my dad saw it on opening I was like looking at him because literally before you'd even said anything you were just sleeping on that couch he was laughing hysterically at you I, I got an the other night which I thought oh I must be doing something right oh um, when when Mag says you know did, did you did you really love father or you know was he the only person of course of course and on the third of course it was a from the audience <laughs> So I, as a beach slug, I must be doing my job. <laughs> Do you, I mean, I feel like you're going to say, no, I love both. But just because of how funny you are in Chains, do you gravitate, especially as your career has developed, do you find you gravitate more toward comedy or drama or no? I, I love comedy. I, <clears throat> I do love comedy. And again, Shakespeare brought me into that. Shakespeare was the thing. When I started, when I did the odd Shakespeare comedy and, you know, played Toby Belch or... <clears throat> well, Benedict, I mean, yeah, uh, the richness of that comedy and how, how much fun it is to play that stuff. I just, yes, I, I do. I do love it. I mean, I love both of them for the different reasons. I mean, I love to play, a, you know, an Iago or a, I mean, again, Iago is a, com is a comic role. He allows the audience to, to come with him on this dreadful journey of, let's see how much I can get away with without them ever knowing what I'm doing. You mentioned this production of Much Ado that was set like a 60s spy sort of thriller. I think a lot of people have talked, it's, it's very trendy now, right? To do like Hamlet in space or something else like that. What do you think of that? Clearly you're not afraid. You don't shy away from adapting and putting it in different places. But what do you think about that trend in general? What, is it a trend? I think everybody's always tried to do that because, because you know, doing Julius Caesar in togas, I mean, it's like, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. Seen, it, seen it, done it. Mind you, nowadays people might go, actually, to we haven't seen togas for about 50 years. Right, right, because <laughs> so many people have been adapting it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it, I just think the work itself is so adaptable uh, that you, you can play the lots of the Shakespeare plays particularly the comedies in many different environments they do they do fit with a lot of different interpretations and so I you know I I would say that that that's the great thing about Shakespeare is that the language itself rises to the surface like cream you know it, it never unless you have actors that you can't hear it never it never fails to affect you in no matter what, you know, hard to fuck up. Yes. <laughs> that language. Yes. I think, I think, but you know. I would agree. Do you, my last question before I get to my ending segment, 
do you have any advice for aspiring actors who may be listening, especially ones who may be in the UK, I have some of a UK audience, or ones who are interested in the classics like Shakespeare and the Greeks, et cetera? I fear for the, you know, I fear for the continuation of it because I do, I, I'm worried that, you know, that the, the dumbing down of society is, is going ahead without, without us being really holding on to the reins. And I am, um, but as far as acting is concerned, I would say with, I'm, I have two kids and I'm trying to get them to not do it. Do they know. have any interest? Or? Well, my daughter is at right at this moment at the Paper Mill Playhouse camp. There you go. Um, but how she chose her lines in the, in, the, in the skit they're doing is that she measured how few words there were and then put her hand up when, <laughs> when the smallest lines came. I said, and of course, as theatre parents, we're going, but you should be the leader. And I suddenly realised she just wants to be in it and have fun. And I went, you know, if at 16, she's 10 at the moment, if at 16 she were to say to me, actually, Daddy, I think I want to be an actor. I'd say, you need to be, you need to need to be an actor. Yeah. You need to need to do it because it's going to disappoint you an awful lot, an awful lot. You, you know, my wife gave it up because she couldn't stand the rejection of it. She couldn't stand it. She was, she, you know, physically could not stand it. And I, I have had to, I live with it. Yeah. Live with that constantly. You have to just be in the audition. And I say, I say to my students, the moment you go out the door, you forget all about it. No matter how much you want it, you forget all about it. Because the I, next one, you're just going to the next one. If, I, if. If something catches, great. Yeah. How did you meet your wife, by the way? On tour with Aquila. Ah, that's great. Yes, in 2000, uh, 2000, 2001, on the Much Ado Cyrano de Bergerac tour. Yeah, that we did. Fantastic. That um, would be, that's my favorite role of all time, Cyrano. I love that role. Did you see the BAM production? I didn't, but I, a friend of mine said, you really should. I want to end with my ending segment, the thank you five segment. So you're an old hat at this since you've listened to the episodes. It's five rapid fire questions. There will be a lot of favorites. So bear with me. You can always be like, that's too hard. So is there, I mean, I guess you said you hate answering this question, but my first one, is there a play that you haven't yet had the chance to compose music for that you are dying to uh, no but I, i'm desperate to be in the scottish play nobody's ever cast me in the scottish play and nobody's ever cast me in a, in a dickens here or a, you know a, a christmas carol or anything like that wow i've so never been seen for that. it yeah. <laughs> well but, you uh, but music wise i don't know i just pick up the you know no music wise i would write for anything uh and love it that that it isn't it isn't the the actual play itself it's it's the writing and when we, when Robert Richmond and I were asked by the Folger Theatre to come and do a production in their season and they said that we've got three plays in our season, Comedy of Errors, Cyrano and Henry VIII. And I went off with Robert and I said, we should do Henry VIII because if we make it the hit of the season, people will go, Henry VIII is the hit of the season with Cyrano and Comedy of Errors? And it was because we did, because we approached it to make it absolutely brilliant. And it ended up being great. So, wow, I wish I had seen that. 
Um, that, so any, so music wise, I'll do anything. What was your favorite theatrical experience with the Royal Shakespeare Company? Uh, touring with touring Julius Caesar was great because we went all over the place. We went to Japan and to oh, Germany. Wow. So we, we did, you know, and we spent. We had a lot of money. We were given a lot of money, so we were spent. We spent two weeks in Japan. I think we only did four shows. So we, I did a lot of touring of Japan. That was very fun. And uh, when I was offered, when I was offered the season after the tour, not in the middle of the tour, David Thacker was asking actors whether they wanted to come and do the season. I said, yeah, I'd love to come. And he said, offered me the first citizen in Coriolanus and to understudy Anthony Scher. And I went, yes, yes. You know, at that time, I was anything, Anthony Scher, I just thought Anthony Scher's like God. I would just be anything. Of course, eventually he didn't do it. I, I was hired as the understudy, but Toby Stevens ended up doing Coriolanus, who, who was very good. I guess you had to live with that. Do you have something you love about touring? Ooh, no, no. I, not now, because it takes me away from my kids and my family. So I, I don't even do regional work now. I, I'm, I'm only willing to accept stuff in New York or just close to us. Right. You, you're I, used, I did used to, I just used to love <clears throat> in in the same way as as being in the business, you you know you do you do eleven weeks in a in a repertory company, and if you're not having a good time, you go well. We only have to put up with it eleven weeks, and then we'll be doing something else. So, <laughs> unlike most people, a lot of people who have jobs forever, you know, yeah. and they're stuck with it. The people that work with them, you know. but you know, m- moving from different town to different town, and for me, I I've, I've toured every state except Hawaii. You wow. know, I've been everywhere. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so really seeing the country and seeing the differences of the States and, and realizing, telling my friends in the UK, it's not really, it's not really a country. You know, it's a collection of different countries that all speak the same language, have very different attitudes. And even back then before this, this time where the attitudes are clearly so polarized, you know, <clears throat> this isn't in the thank you five but do you consider yourself like fully an american at this point no the, the sad we were talking about this the other day the sad thing about it is you go back to the uk and you all the things you thought you loved about the uk have all slightly moved mm. away from the center so you don't so you don't feel like you're at home quite at home there and yet you don't come from here either so I sort of, it's a sort of mid-Atlantic thing now. You're, yeah. you're, you're neither fish nor fell. You've, you've, you've put yourself in a position where, I don't know, like the characters in the, like Tennant in Chains, I'm sure, who ended up in, in Australia, but actually never became an Australian. He, yeah. He just, I, miss, I miss the UK, but as I say, when I go back more and more, over the years the things that have changed would affect my wanting to go back there and i'm sure it must be weird like your kids are fully american so it must be funny yes. to be like whoa how did these kids get I here i well i constantly pinching myself on a regular basis going i don't know how, where, how did i end up here how did this happen it was just happenstance happenstance the major theme of the episode <laughs> do you have a favorite shakespeare or a favorite classical greek well, Caesar would have to be my favorite Shakespeare, just because it was the first one I read when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. And I just, I understood everything about it. I was literally reading it going, I, whereas it's, it was 
you know, our English teacher said, well, you've got to read this. It's very serious. And I read it like a super novel. And it's the simplest of all the plays as well. And I guess I've played Brutus more than any other character. I would think. Oh, wow. Brutus and Benedict more than any other character. I've done several incarnations with Aquila. I did it at the Folgers, Brutus, and I and I understudied Brutus originally at the RSC with me on tour, and then ended up playing it on that tour. So, oh, I know that I. That's one of the Shakespeare's I know not as well, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a kind of it's not a Shakespeare that people go, wow, that's you know. Yeah, yeah. But but it's it's a Shakespeare of argument, I guess, mm. which I love and it still holds up because you you at the end of it you go who's right who's the goody here who's the baddie who's who's yeah. whose argument was correct none of them none of them very very apropos of our political climate today Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and my last thank you five i ask lots of people this what would you say is an actor's essential and then a composer's essential and as i'm sure you know this can be literal like you need a computer to compose or metaphorical like perseverance or, or joy or something like that well joy in both of them i think with as an actor you need ever you need other people Unless yeah. you're doing, unless you're doing a one-man show, which the joy of it for me is the this is this play and response is 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 the responding to is is how the responses become this thing, this animal that just moves around, and how just a slight change in a in a you know in the way you say it, slightly different changes the aspect of everything changes the other person's response and the, you know i'll change a slight i mean mag gave me a spit take the other day because she laughed out loud at how i responded to her because i slightly changed it that's yeah boy of it is that it's alive as you're doing it it's alive and it's constantly alive even though you've learned it and so that's the joy of acting the joy of music is sitting is it, when it's done, sitting for me, sitting in the auditorium, and a piece comes on, and it, it with the visuals, is perfection, mm. and it's the feeling of being divorced from it, mm. and going, I don't know how I started writing that. Mm. I don't, I don't remember what the seed was for that but it is absolutely beautiful. You know, when something works wonderfully well, it's, it's, it's hugely humbling because you, in a way, I, as I've always felt about writing is I don't take responsibility for it. It's, it's given to me by the universe, by the I living universe. It. I'm just a conduit for it. I've just come up, I've heard these things and I'm putting them all together. People say, oh, I put my music on the internet and what if somebody uses it? I don't care if somebody uses it. I've already used it. I've been paid for it. I don't care what happens to it now. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. Huh. Anyway. That's so interesting. It's interesting that you feel that way about composing, whereas with 
acting, it still feels, well, I guess, because you're doing it all the time. So it's in your body yes. and it's you, yes. whereas there's that separation when the the art you've created is 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 gone and being used yes. by the people. So And on Saturday night, this art will be gone. Chains will be gone. Mm -hmm. When I uttered the last time, all of those words, it, that'll be it. On Sunday, I won't remember what my first line was because my brain will yeah, I honestly, I like two days after a show closes, I, I struggle to go, what is my first learning? Because my brain's gone, we're done. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> I will say having done a lot of musicals, even musicals that I love that I've done, that I've listened to my whole life, I, uh -huh. after doing it, I have to take like at least a year off of listening to it. Oh, so you do, right. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I don't yeah. get the same, you know, joy from it anymore. No, so I sure. want to return to the joy. When it's repeating, repeating, yes. Exactly. I wish I could do musicals. I'd love to do musicals, actually. But I think my resume is so, because there's not a musical on it, nobody's going to, nobody in, in the Broadway musical world is going to take a risk, to be perfectly honest. Even if I did a good job, I don't think that, you know, there's so much money attached to it. You know, you'd much rather take someone who's just leaving Phantom or Les Mis. Totally. Even Although if you I didn't like them as much, I think, you, you know, I think the, the risk is so great. And people who are in musical theatre say, I can't get anything else but musical theatre. Uh, you know, I'd love to do a classical play. But I can't get cast in it. It's so interesting it's, because when I was starting, the two things that I loved were Shakespeare and musicals, because I find mm -hmm. Shakespeare extremely musical. Yes, um, yes. And I think in both, obviously there are bad musicals, but the great musicals, it's also all about the language. Yes. And there's so little overlap professionally when you would think there would be so much more. Like, I, I don't right. know of a lot of great Shakespeare actors that are also doing, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein and vice versa. But I don't know. I, I, they've, they've always paired well to me in my mind. But like, I feel like doing a show like This Is Our Youth is much more different from either of them than doing like Romeo and Juliet from Carousel. I think those are much more similar, but yes, yes. maybe that's just me. Yeah, I think that's true. That's true. Tony, this has been so, or Anthony, this has been <laughs> so fun. Do you have anything you feel like I've missed or that you want to say or you want to plug? No, I wish I, I, wish I had something to plug. Well, I plug uh, the last week of Chains. It comes yeah. here. It's fun and, and people have been shocked and surprised at how relevant it is and how easy it is on the eye and the ear and now how much fun people have seeing it. So come see. And talk about a fun language play. I mean, there's so much... So many like Bakerisms in there that I think are fun oh, for the audience oh, here and the actors to play with. Absolutely, absolutely. When it read, I say, when we read it, I just thought, this is so like a Chekhov. Yeah. It's so, you know, similar. The, the, the humor and yet the, the underlying tragedy of these characters are stuck in this life. It's I guess so, it's around the same time, right? Like it's I not think. far off. Yeah, absolutely. Not far yeah. off. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. This was fantastic. Thank, Thank you, Katie. Again. I love hearing all these stories. I just love it. Even, what did you say? You were like, the language rises 
to the surface like cream. I mean, that's so British and I just love it. Um, <laughs> no American- You can't get cream here. You can't get proper cream. Yeah, here. well, we're like, what's cream? Yeah, so thank you so much. And I know thank you're you. super busy, so I really appreciate it. Thank you, Call Time listeners, as always. We have someone on the tech side next week, so that'll be a good variety to have. Thanks as always for listening. Leave me- a comment, a like, whatever to tell me what you want to hear and have a great week.